0: I wanted to talk a little bit about wealth, a little bit about money. Um, I, first of all, I just want to say this just right off the bat. Everyone in this room is wealthy. I, I don't even care if you have any money in, or two dimes to run together. You are in the most powerful and wealthy country that this world has probably ever known. And if you were poor and living on the street and just eating garbage out of trash cans, you probably have more than a significant portion of the world has had for most of time in history. That you have food that just has been thrown out that's still edible and good to eat. That you have all kinds of places you can go and receive shelter or food on the streets. Uh, this is a country of incredible bounty, an incredible amount of goods and wealth that the world has not really known before. So, as we look at these, this idea of wealth, we must be careful because for us, we are on the side of things that, that tends to have it a little easier in life. And most of us in this room aren't poor or aren't even close to poor. We do pretty well for ourselves and we're, we're comfortable in life. And so we have to be really careful when we come to the topic of money and we explore it because we can be tempted to justify our own actions or thoughts or behaviors or motives when we look at the Scriptures. We have to be honest about ourselves and honest as we look at how we use all the things that God has given to us for His glory. But first thing I want to say is that I don't think money is evil in and of itself. I don't think wealth is bad or a negative thing. In fact, I think that Scripture in general is pretty neutral on the idea of material, you know, material things. If not neutral, even slightly positive Now think about this. What is wealth but a collection of material objects or the ability to purchase material objects, right? And material objects are made of what? I said it in the word, material. You guys, wake up. This is, you know my sermons. They're interactive. They're not sleep time. They're they're made of stuff. Material, yes, material, atoms. And up here, intellect as well. That's true, all right? And so... Uh, this stuff is, was made by who do we believe? God. And in Genesis chapter 1, after he makes each thing and each environment in which things can exist, what does he say after it? It is good. And so if there is a bend in Scripture about the things in this world that we can enjoy as possessions or as things that can fill our lives, in general, they can be seen as good, not bad, not negative. And yet there are warnings in Scripture about wealth, specifically about the misuse of wealth or about temptations and traps that we can fall into when wealth comes our way, right? And so we've seen those warnings in Scripture. But I just want to look a little bit about the history of wealth in Scripture. First thing is, when we look at the patriarchs of Israel— the three founding fathers of the people of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you recognize one thing about all three of these men? They were all three incredibly wealthy. Did they start out that way? Not necessarily. Their wealth grew as they what? As they obeyed God and lived into his commandment their wealth grew. In fact, in every single one of the stories, we see that they grow incredible wealth in terms of their flocks and people and servants they have underneath them to care for their flocks because of their righteousness and their faith and their seeking after the one true God. And so there's this concept in the Old Testament that if you are obedient, if you follow after God, then he'll bless you. That begins to emerge. We can go further down the line of of Israel and we can look at David. David was just a shepherd boy, the last in a long line of boys in a family. And in a family that was not really like incredibly wealthy or anything. They're kind of average Joes. And David ends up getting called by God to lead his people. And in the end, David ends up, what? Wealthy. King, but wealthy. And his son, is known to be the wealthiest man who has ever lived on the face of the planet at the time. Right? Solomon. And so wealth is never just flat out said is an evil thing or a bad thing in Scripture. Now, how many of you believe this? If you have money, life is a little bit easier than if you don't have money. Yes! How many of you would turn down money if I were to give money to you today? Very few of you. No one raised their hands. That's good. (laughs) We all know that money and material possessions make life easier. And and when you're not having to scrape for food or for the next um, paycheck in order to pay the bills, life is less stressful. It's less demanding, right? And we become a little bit more secure and comfortable. When we have money. So money is not a bad thing. We look at Jesus' life. Look at, in Luke. After this, Jesus traveled this is from Luke chapter eight. After this, Jesus traveled from about from t- one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with them, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and de- diseases. Mary called Magdalene. and um, oh, did I mess up the passage there? I split it up. From whom seven de- demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, or Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, probably a wealthy man, right? Herod, the king, the manager of his household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. This little line, this phrase in the Gospel of Luke has led a lot of people to believe that Jesus had these benefactors. The, the reason why he was able to travel around with his 12 followers is because those whose lives were impacted, who had material resources, chose to support this little band of rebel teachers who were going around and teaching about the kingdom of God being at hand. And so Jesus' very ministry was funded by the poor, No, by wealthy people. Okay? So even in Jesus' ministry, who speaks, he speaks tremendously about money and especially in negative ways. We see that Jesus himself is blessed by those who have material possessions. We see in uh, Matthew chapter 27, uh, this passage, this is after Jesus is dead. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And what do we know Joseph did? He gave his tomb that he had recently bought so that Jesus' body can be buried with honor before the Sabbath and before the Passover, right? And so a rich man came and provided in Jesus' hour of need something that gave him dignity and honor in his death. So there's not a blanket statement that says that wealth or that money is a bad thing in Scripture. It's just not there. But let's look at the time of Jesus' context and how they would have seen money. Well, specifically, in Jesus' day, there was kind of a changing of minds about money. Because for a long time, because of the stories in the Old Testament with the founding kind of fathers of the nation of Israel, the the people of Israel, that as you see them develop, there's this kind of concept that Wealth is a blessing from God. So if you are rich, it must mean what? That God loves you and that God, you have done something for God, that you have honored God. And so there was this assumption that kind of went along. It was almost a karmic assumption, right? That if you were good, God would bless you back and you have material possessions. And if you were in some way deficient or not as good or whatever else, then you would be destitute. You would be poor. And so there was a kind of a concept that had come up and risen. And that still existed in Jesus' day. Many people believed it this way. Now, let's look at a statement that's actually following our second passage. We saw a passage where a rich young man comes to Jesus. He asks Jesus about how he can be saved, right? And he ends up telling him, Jesus ends up telling him that he needs to sell all of his possessions, give it to the poor, And the guy goes away sad. Right after this, Jesus says, you know what? Rich people are going to have a hard time getting into heaven. It's going to be so hard, it's going to be like a camel squeezing through the eye of a needle. And if you've heard anybody say that, well, that was a gate, so it was less, you know, impossible. No, no, no. He was talking about a literal eye of a sewing needle. So he was saying it was impossible. And then, how do his disciples react? Yeah, stick it to those rich, Jesus. No, what's their question? Have you ever noticed this? Their question is, well, then who can be saved? Why? Because their assumption is the rich, if there's anybody who can get into heaven, it's the rich. Because they must have done something to bless God so much that God has blessed them with these riches. And so for the Jews, when they look at it, they're not thinking, oh, stick it to the rich. They're thinking, whoa, if the rich can't make it in, what about us? And Jesus' answer is what? Something often missed when this passage is talked about. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Right? So Jesus isn't making a point that rich people are automatically destined for hell or that if you have wealth, that somehow there's a negativity that should be surrounded around you. Not at all. Jesus is saying... All of us are in a terrible position before God. We all deserve damnation, but what's impossible for human beings to achieve, God's going to achieve, and he's going to achieve it through me. That's Jesus' point. So in their day, there was this conception that was still around that if you were rich, somehow you would bless God, but that was starting to break down. And it was starting to break down because there had been centuries of ruling aristocracies, okay, kings and queens, who had been rich and wealthy. Why? Because of their oppression of the poor. And they began to recognize, wait a minute, as we look around, almost everybody's poor. In Jesus' day, 90% of all people were considered poor. There was about 4%, 5% of the population that could be considered middle class. And then there was different st- strata of wealthy. And you want to guess who was wealthy? Not businessmen. Not hard-working entrepreneurs. Kings, queens and the high priestly class that ruled over the temple. And they usually were rich because of their oppression of the poor and taking taxes in a burdensome way from the people who were working around their authority. Right, This is the reason why in Jesus' day tax collectors had become hated, because tax collectors were doing the bidding of these people who oppressed the poor, who pressed almost everybody by taking taxes. And tax collectors, the way they made their living was they would take a cut above what the government was des- demanding from them and they would make themselves wealthy with that cut above. And so the people who were rich in this day were doing it, or becoming rich in, on the backs of people who literally were ma- barely surviving and growing their own food or raising their own flocks. So in their day, they started to kind of break down this conception that just because you're rich, you must have done something good for God. It still existed. It was still in the minds of a lot of people, but some of the teachers began teaching other things. There was many rabbis before Jesus' days that started teaching about the idea that wealth was a trap and led not to righteousness, but to evil. The Pharisees, the Pharisees who were wealthy, who had somehow been able to gather wealth for themselves almsgiving became something that became of the highest importance for them. You want to know why? Because it proved that they were righteous and that giving to the poor, they weren't extracting from the poor, but they were righteous in their wealth. So in those days, money became a real issue and they began to talk about it and discuss it. So no wonder why money was on Jesus' lips probably more than any other thing. Well, what things do we learn from Jesus in these passages? And I think these are good passages just to look at Jesus' concept of money overall. The first thing, we're going to look at two points. The first is where your treasure lay, there your heart is. Where your treasure lay, there your heart is. We tend to get this reversed. We tend to think where your heart is, there your treasure lay, right? We tend to think of it that way. But notice Jesus' statement. It's, it's different than our concept. Where your treasure lay, there your heart is. How many of you have ever ridden a motorcycle? A few of us. A motorcycle. It's a picture up there. Have you ever ridden a motorcycle? What is one of the first things they teach you when you learn to ride a motorcycle? Tell me. How to fall. No. 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 Look where you're going. Look where you're going. That's like one of the number one one things they tell you. They say, look, if you are driving on the street and you're looking at the back end of the parked car, wondering if you're going to hit it or not, guaranteed what you're going to do? Hit it. Because you will instinctively steer in the direction you look. And so one of the things they teach you is when you're going into a turn, notice this guy's head. Is he looking in front of his bike? No, he's looking to where he's turning, right? Because you look at the apex of your turn and then the conclusion of your turn as you come around that turn. You look where you're going because your body will steer instinctively. Well, this is the same concept Jesus is talking about with money, talking about treasure in general, that where your treasure is, your heart will follow after that thing. This is why wealth is such an important thing for us to talk about in our culture because what does our culture probably value above all other things? Wealth. I would say comfort, but wealth is the main means towards comfort, right? And security. And so we place in front of people nonstop in our commercial society buy this, it's going to make your life better. Buy this, it'll make your life easier. Buy this, and you'll have more enjoyment, right? We look all the time about how we can get fulfillment out of things. And so the world is constantly telling you your treasure is stuff. Your treasure is stuff. Your treasure is stuff. And if you look and veer into that too much, where's your heart going to go? Into stuff. This is an important teaching from Jesus. Treasure is not stuff. Now, if I were answering Becky's question, those of you who have given me food know that the way to my heart is food. What is in your treasure chest? What is it that you value above all things? What is it that you've allowed to be placed before your face so that you are steering into that as your ultimate value in this world? Is it security? Is it comfort? Is it things? Is it pleasure? Or is it God? What is in your treasure chest? What do you value above all things? This is a question you should be asking yourself. There's a reason why ancient mythology has dragons always sitting on top of a pile of gold, right? Because when we become people who seek after material things, what does our personality become like? A dragon, right? When we seek things more than other people, when we seek things more than God, then we become dragon-like in our personalities. Vicious, aggressive, right? Not caring about life or others around us, just guarding our little treasure. Think about where your treasure lay. Have you allowed this world to speak into your life and tell you that your treasure is mostly found in stuff Or have you allowed yourself to veer into God's word and recognize that God should be your supreme treasure and value? Second thing, people are God's valuable. People are God's valuable. When you look at God's treasure chest, I think we're in it. Why? Because if you look at God's actions throughout time and history, it has always been in mercy and compassion and love to bring about His plan to save all of humanity in Jesus Christ. And then since Jesus came, it's been to call humanity into a loving relationship with Him. So if you were to look in God's treasure chest, it'd be us. We are created in the image of God, it says in Genesis chapter 1. Which means that the reason why we are so valuable to God is because He has imbued us, He has given us a part of His essence so that we might reflect His glory in His creation. We are His image on this earth. So why are we more valuable than all the other things? Because... He's given us that value by making us reflectors of himself and his glory. Do you see other human beings that way? Or do you see them as somebody who's driving 25 and the 35 in the fast lane and you're like, get out of the way! Sorry, I was speaking to myself there. How do you see people? Are they objects for you to get around in order to make this life more comfortable yourself or are they the very thing in which you exist for to serve and to love in the name of God is your heart where God's heart is where his treasure lay or is your heart in someone else Notice this in in Revelation when the kingdom of God comes down to this earth. Now, don't get me started on that. Notice this. The kingdom of God is going to come down to this earth and God's kingdom is going to be ruled here on this planet. Not us floating away playing a harp on a cloud. Here. We're going to exist here for all eternity. God's kingdom is going to come down to this earth and all of creation is going to be recreated towards his perfect will and the streets the streets in the city of the new jerusalem the center of his creation is going to be paved with gold one of the most beautiful things i've ever heard in a sermon was a pastor who i served in in santa barbara in one of his sermons he said do you want to know why the streets are paved with gold It's not to show the incredible value and wealth of God's kingdom. No, it's to show you that on this planet we trample all over people to get at gold but in the eternity we're going to trample under gold like it's nothing under our feet to get at people. Where is your treasure? What do you seek after? Now get me straight here. I'm not talking about being guilted into giving to the poor. Jesus valued the poor in a way that no other teacher of his time or sense has valued the poor. Not as objects to be pitied, not as objects to be rescued, not as objects to prove your righteousness to as the Pharisees would have done in their generous alms giving to prove that their wealth was righteous and not unrighteous. No, not as objects, but as people, equals, with dignity, image bearers of God. How do you treat that man on the street who's begging for money? This breaks my heart every time I do it. Do you walk by pretending like they're a part of the scenery Because if you know if you engage, you might be guilted into giving them money and then you have to think about the consequences. They're going to go use it on something that you don't want them to use it on. Or Or do you think of them as people equal to you and act towards them as a human, as a person who bears the image of your God Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? Is it in God and in what he treasures? Or is it in the things of this world? May you be like me and hope that my cold heart can be turned from stone to flesh. That I would desire God's desires and that I would act as God would act with all that he's blessed me with. Amen.